0: Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Target Field in Minnesota. It's the Minnesota Twins 10, the Cleveland Guardians 6. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And, wow, after the top of the second inning, I was really enjoying things. I was really I was excited to talk to you. I thought we were going to have a fun episode. I thought we were going to have a fun Cleveland Guardians win, but my God, did we blow that game fast. My God, did that get out of hand fast, and uh, we couldn't win a single inning. No matter what we did, Minnesota had an answer, and uh, we end up with a pretty rough 10-6 to loss. So let's get into this. Let's get into the top storylines of the game. And unfortunately, it was our pitching just getting absolutely decimated. Curry only lasts two innings, gives up six hits, six earned runs all in the second inning, a walk and two strikeouts, a home run given up, a grand slam given up on 53 pitches. He's hard hit one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times. Oh, Xavion Curry. Uh, you know, it it looked like, right? So the Guardian's rally in the top of the second inning, like, happens happens fast. Like, boom, we're all over them. The only out they get in there is the sack fly. Uh before the before the inning kind of grinds to an end. Curry had some strikeouts. Like, I thought he was gonna get out of things. You know, there was a point where he could have got out of it with like a 4 2 deficit, which I was prepared to come on here and go, mm, I don't know if 4-2 to is really winning the inning. Like, Yeah, we scored more runs, but we didn't really hold the momentum of our inning. That's, that's the narrative I thought we were going to talk about this morning. And then it just gets worse. The walk to Julian and then the Grand Slam by Royce Lewis. His second, I know, back-to-back days for Royce Lewis with a Grand Slam. I know, Matt Underwood went absolutely nuts with it. They talked about it the entire game. Okay, I get it. Uh, he hits his out at 98.2 miles per hour, 31 degree launch angle, 393 feet out to the bullpen in left center field, 18 out of 30 ballparks. This would have been a home run. Uh, so let's see, where was Curry throwing the ball? What was getting him into so much trouble? Um, I mean, yeah, he was on the plate a lot uh, with his fastball. Looking at the results tab... The home run is actually uh, a curveball that uh, Royce Lewis hits out. Is Lewis a righty or a lefty? I never remember these things. Uh, Lewis is a right-handed batter. So this is a curveball to the outside part of the plate. It's on the outside edge of the plate. And he uh, he pulls this thing in the left center field. It's up. That's what I can say. It's up above the belt. So it's a a curveball just sitting up there for him. And uh, he pops this thing out. Let's go to the actual at-bat and see, did Curry do anything to set up this curveball, maybe, to Royce Lewis? Uh, let's take a look here. Nope, second pitch of the at-bat. Just staying outside. Gets a fastball outside for a called strike. Uh, and then drops this curveball at the belt away, and he crushes it. So uh, sl- you know, slowing him down with a curveball was not a good idea there. Uh, going back over to the illustrator here, the, uh, the two doubles he gives up, uh, to Kepler and to Jorge Polanco, uh, we're both forcing fastballs, kind of middle of the plate at the belt, kind of middle of the plate. The singles he gives up, uh, are all pitches that are down at the bottom on the glove side of the plate, all grouped together down there. So just some interesting grouping of pitches there. Uh, but yeah, uh, the doubles in the middle of the plate, I get. Like, I get how they hammered those fastballs. This curveball away, I I, I got to give credit to Royce Lewis. It was up and elevated, so I'm not not surprised he drove it. But the fact that he was able to get around and pull this ball, uh, it's a pretty far pitch to, off the plate to pull. So that's what gets Xavier Curry in trouble. And you know what? Looking at his splits this year, maybe the experiment with him starting, might be coming to an end. As a reliever, he was actually very good. He was 3-0 as a reliever in 25 appearances. Now remember, some of these came in mop-up duties, right? When the game was already out of hand. But uh in 20 uh in 50 innings pitched as a reliever, so a pretty decent sample size, he had a 3.06 ERA. He had a 1.18 whip He had a 3.6 strikeout-to-walk ratio. As a starter in 8 starts and 29 innings pitched, he's got a 590 ERA. He's got a 1.448 whip. He's got a 1.58 strikeout-to-walk ratio. So yeah, that strikeout-to-walk ratio, that's very concerning that that changed. I get that you're getting hit around a little bit more, but the strikeouts aren't there. The walks are up. He's now walked more people in his 29 innings starting than he had in his 50 innings relieving. 12 walks starting to 10 walks relieving. He's given up the same amount of runs. True runs, not earned runs. 19 runs in 29 innings starting. 19 runs in 50 innings relieving. So, yeah, it's not working as a starter. As a long reliever, it was going okay. Maybe it's because he was in less high leverage situations, again, maybe because of some mop-up duty when offenses were taking their foot off the gas pedal, but it might not be working as a starter. Now, I don't know exactly who's going to come up and take those innings. I know they've got some guys coming back from injury eventually. Curry might have to just keep going out and eating innings. And that's why Daniel Norris comes into the game in the third inning. Uh, Norris getting called back up for uh, after Thor, after Syndergaard was officially DFA'd, uh, Norris was someone who's already been DFA'd this season. He cleared waivers. He goes back down to the minor leagues. He was he was put in this game to eat innings at this point, like someone who would give them a little length, a little long relief out of the bullpen, and he fails miserably at that. Now everything that Norris gets hit is on a perfect line north and south uh, to the arm side of the plate for the right-handed pitcher, uh, just left of center. So from the catcher's view, everything he gives up is just left of center, including the two home runs, including the uh, uh, who hit the solo home run. The solo home run was hit by Walner on a changeup, and then the. Big three-run home run by uh, Jorge Polanco uh, to really take the lead and uh, knock this game way out of hand, way out of hand. It was a slider that came right back into the middle of the plate, so Norris gets absolutely hammered in everything he gives up. The 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 single he gives up to Solano is at the top of the zone, but I mean right on the same. Uh, North South Line. It's it's pretty incredible how everything he gave up was from the same part of the plate, and then the single to Royce Lewis It was a changeup at the bottom of the strike zone, but right below the home run to Walner. So yeah, uh, not a great game from either of those pitchers, and it's the whole ball game. It's the whole ball game, and Polanco's home run I'm talking was an exclamation point. Like, Royce Lewis was huge to finish the rally for the Minnesota Twins. We talk about it all the time. Good teams have that moment, have that big moment where they finish a rally. We actually do it. We, we do it. We're going to talk about it in the top of the second. Boat Naylor does it with his two-run home run. But, man, the grand slam for Royce Lewis, a little bit louder answer. And then Polanco's three-run home run in the fourth. I'm sorry. That was just a monster shot to the third deck out there in left field, in target field. Uh, Let's see the numbers on this. After a single by Lewis, the walk by Kepler. He actually strikes out Correa. Correa almost hits one out, right? He hits one just foul down the line that almost goes out and then chases a slider down and in. Uh... You know what? Now I'm questioning whether Norris is a righty or a lefty based on Correa's strikeout. Um, But that brings up Jorge Polanco. He is a lefty. That's right. Okay, so all of these things were just off center to the glove side of the plate, not the arm side of the plate uh, for the lefty. So that means the slider was breaking in on Polanco and he hammers this thing. 108.5 mile per hour exit velocity, 31 degree launch angle, four. 137 feet 30 out of 30 ballparks my god this was a monster shot uh not actually the hardest hit ball of the day surprisingly uh was the home run by walner uh hit harder uh let's take a look here yeah that was 109 and then polanco actually hit one at 109.2 at one point in this game uh was that his double off the wall Yes, it was. So uh, there's your hardest hit balls of the day. Um, Walners was also 30 out of 30 ballparks. His was 438 feet. Uh, So a monster shot at 109 mile per hour exit velocity. So yeah, uh, the Minnesota Twins, they threw a stat up on the screen last night. They're like the third best in baseball when it comes to scoring the most, most of their runs via the home run. Atlanta was number one, I think. I don't remember who was number two, and Twins were number three in baseball. So it's not shocking how many runs they score here via the home run. I believe that would be eight runs, right, via the home run. So, yeah, they absolutely hammer us. But that's the game. Like, nobody scores after that. This game gets really boring from the fifth inning on. Nobody even comes close to having a rally from the fifth inning on. The Guardians don't get another hit. They don't get another base runner. From the fifth inning on. Come on, guys. Show a little bit of fight. Their bullpen comes into work. Man, just absolutely shuts us down. They don't allow another base runner for the rest of the game. And those of you like me who hang on to the end of the game, who are watching it all the way through, wow, we get no reward for it. Nothing. Funderburk, Cody Funderburk comes in and makes his Major League debut, goes two innings with three strikeouts on 28 pitches. Josh Winder follows up with that with three innings of long relief to finish the game on 24 pitches. I mean, some of these innings weren't even competitive. I mean, there was a five-pitch inning in there where we were just hacking at everything. Oh, man, I... I remember Andres Jimenez, I believe, is the final hitter of that one, who swung at the first pitch, popped it up, fouled a third base, and slammed his bat into the ground. So something about those home runs given up to the Minnesota Twins really put that Guardians dugout in a funk. All right, let's talk about some of the positives here. Our relief pitchers that came in after Daniel Norris had a lot of strikeouts. Eli Morgan with four strikeouts. All the outs recorded by him were obvious strikeouts. De Los Santos with three. All right, but that's not the positive. The positive here is the offense. Like, the offense gave a good effort. Six runs scored on seven hits. They at least started this game with a good effort against Kenta Maeda, Made his night pretty terrible. But uh, he also, uh, man, he gives up all the runs for the Minnesota Twins. Yeah, so they drive him out after four innings. So let's talk about this rally in the second inning because they hit them hard and they hit him fast. Uh, it starts with a Ramon Laureano single. And then Andres Jimenez with incredible bat speed once again. Pulls one into the right field corner. God, StatCast, I need bat speed data. 92.3 mile per hour exit velocity, but a nice shot down into the right field corner. Puts runners on second and third. Okay, we've got something set up to start the scoring. Will Brennan works along at bat, but eventually gets a, gets one out there far enough in the outfield. A sack fly brings Ramon Laureano in a score. Okay, you, you've, you've cracked that zero. You've got it on the board. One-nothing via the sack fly. Okay, Brennan gets the job done. How many, you know, look at the game against Toronto where we have the bases loaded, nobody out, and then they strike out the side. You, thank you, Yimmy Garcia. So, Brennan gets the job done here. Gabriel Arias, with that runner on second then, gets an outside pitch. Let's go to this at-bat because uh, I, I did not think that uh, he got this much of the ball, to be honest with you. uh, It was the third pitch of the at-bat. He had thrown him a slider on the plate that he swung through for strike one. Took a laid off a fastball away. So good eye from Gabriel Arias. Anytime Gabriel Arias is not chasing away, I'm going to be impressed then gets another slider breaking away to the outside edge of the plate, but he's able to jump on it and hit it off the right field wall. He actually hits it at 102.3 mile per F- exit velocity. This looked like an excuse me swing. This looked like a, hey, I'm just going to shoot this thing in a right field kind of swing. This did not look like a swing for the fences kind of swing. Now, uh, Gabriel Arias is very slow getting out of the box. Let's be honest. He watches it. He watches it. And at first, I thought he was watching it because he assumed this thing was going to get caught. He assumed he had just flied out to right center field and hit a lazy fly ball. Instead, this thing carries and ends up banging off the fence. And, you know, it must have fooled Kepler out there. I think it was Kepler who was the one underneath this ball in right right field. Um, It must have fooled him a little bit because he gets buried against the wall. And the ball ricochets over his head. Now, on the replay, maybe it looks like Gabriel Iris was going into a little bit of a home run trot, too. So maybe he thought he had got it out, but that high wall in Minnesota is trouble, uh, and it bounces off the wall for a double. Luckily, it bounces over Kepler's head, and he's able to get in a second for a double. The next at-bat, he definitely takes off running out of the batter's box a little bit better. Now, it's a different situation. That one is one that's pulled down the right field line uh, for his second double of the game. But uh, he at least gets out of the batter's box and gets on his horse and runs. Uh, for this one, yeah, I, you got to run out of the box. Even, even with that high wall, nothing is guaranteed to be a home run. So you got to run out of the box, Gabriel Arias. Um, I'm sure DeMarlo Hale. I feel like DeMarlo Hale is, Hale is the guy who would get on him for that once he gets back to the dugout, right? It's not going to be Terry Francona. He's not that kind of guy. That's That's the bench coach's job to get down there and go, hey, your butt out of the batter's box and run your job is to run not watch it so a good job of taking a slider away and riding it out on the right field I'm actually really impressed by the swing from Gabriel Arias and then Bo Naylor in fact you know what now that I'm thinking about it let's go let's go take a look at Gabriel Arias's spray chart As well, I'm thinking about it and see has he done this has he has he sprayed the ball to right field like this in the 2023 season Actually, yeah, he has. I got to say, his splits are pretty... uh, His spray chart's pretty even. Uh, The home runs are spread out from left center field all the way around to right center field. Um, There's a couple of doubles down the right... uh, Three doubles down into the right field corner. This is the first double into the right center field alley, but he does have a home run up the alley. And he's got a bunch of singles. He's got a bunch of singles um, over in the right field. If I were facing him... Uh, defensively. All his singles through the infield are pulled through the left side. So I would shift my infield over. I'd have my second baseman pretty far up the middle. Uh, But I would have my outfield play true. Because he definitely has sprayed it to all spots in the outfield. So, uh, okay, not the first time Gabriel Arias has done that. Good to know. All right, that brings up Bo Naylor now with the runner on second base. He uh, lays off some high fastballs. Maybe one that Maida might have wanted called for a strike. I don't I uh the the group that does the umpire scorecards don't get them out till a little later in the morning. So I don't have the official numbers for how bad this umpire was, but he was awful. I mean he missed a ton of strikes for Xavier Curry. He really put Xavier Curry in a rough spot. He also missed a couple for Maida. Uh this one at the top of the zone, the second pitch, may eh, gone either way, but it's called a ball. So he's got a good 2-0 count. He drops a slider in on the outside edge for a called strike, a backdoor slider, then tries to throw another slider, doesn't get it down, leaves it on the middle of the plate, just below the belt, and Bo Naylor is ready for it, 107.7 mile per hour exit velocity, 23 degree launch angle, 431 feet out to center field for a monster two-run home run, a monster statement from Bo Naylor, who is... Pretty hot as of late as far as hitting goes, um, at least with the power. I don't know about the batting average, but at least with the power, he's pretty hot lately. This would have been a home run in 29 out of 30 ballparks. By the way, Gabriel Arias's one where he goes into a home run trot would have been a home run in 25 out of 30 ballparks. So the big exclamation point, I mean, Gabriel Arias's double was already enough. We were happy about that. 2 nothing to kick things off in the second inning. I would have taken that every day of the week. Bo Naylor was the exclamation point we've been waiting for, a two-run home run, to make it a huge 4-0 inning. Um, so let's see his recent splits here. Bo Naylor recently, over his last seven games, he's hitting 350 with a 1209 OPS. So yeah, I would say Bo Naylor's pretty hot as of late um, with those two home runs. Uh, over his last 15 games, it's 225. But he's got near a near an eight hundred, just un, no, just over an eight hundred. It'd be an eight oh one OPS. Okay, all right, not bad, not too shabby. Um, from Bo Naylor there over his last fifteen games. Um, so yeah, it's it's kind of the reason I was actually frustrated he didn't start more games in Toronto. Like, come on, give him the at bats. There is literally no reason. To see Cam Gallagher or Haas, unless it's like the day game, the getaway day. And then get him in there. Uh, Let Bo Naylor run. Let him run. Let him hit. Maybe let him DH if you're not going to start him at catcher. Right? Jose Ramirez doesn't need this many DH days. Let Bo Naylor DH if he's not starting a catcher. Get him the at-bats. We want to see him hit. So a huge moment here. Then, of course, they have their six-run inning. It's encouraging... It's encouraging that they're actually able to get a run home in the third inning and they're actually able to answer back a little bit they make it a five to six game like that's it's not terrible um of a response here uh Jimenez hits a you know a fielder's choice uh Calhoun scores uh oh it's a throwing error by Royce Lewis and uh I must have missed this one. Uh, Ramon Laureano moves up to second and, uh, he's safe at first and the run comes in to score. So a walk, a single and a fielder's choice error here, uh, allows the run to score before Brennan, unfortunately grounds into a double play to end things, uh, with those runners on. So, uh, okay. At least you answered back, right? At least you answered back. You made it a five to six game. Then they hit the solo home run. Okay. Now it's a seven to five game. You answer back in the fourth inning. Uh, two doubles, Quan saves us, uh, Gabriel Arias with another double, I told you he pulled it into the right field corner at 100.2 miles per hour, he runs out of the batter's box, after Bo Naylor strikes out, and Miles Straw strikes out, of course Straw strikes out with a runner, I, 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 know, Bo Naylor did it too, I know, but Straw of course, uh, and then Steven Quan comes up with two outs, and, uh, he gets a double, uh, I believe he hits this one, uh, in his, in the center field, uh, gets it over their heads, 96.5 mile per exit velocity. It's always fun to see Quan pull the ball, you know, not slap it in the left field, but to pull the ball with some authority. And he gets a double that scores Gabriel Arias. Okay, you've answered right back. Uh, so they do one in the bottom of the third, you put up another one in the top of the fourth. This is good from the offense. You need the pitching to lock in, but this is good from the offense. So now you've made it a 6-7 to seven game. Again, a one-run game. And then, my God, that home run from Polanco just absolutely destroys us. So, offensively, I thought it was a pretty fair game. I thought it was a pretty good game offensively, uh, especially the middle of the lineup, you know, the bottom of the lineup doing a lot of the damage. Uh, yeah. Uh, Ramon Loriano again with two hits. Uh, Jimenez with, you know, a nice pulled double would be his only hit. Yeah. Um, Gabriel Arias with two with the two doubles. It was nice to see. And then Bo Naylor with a big home run again. A second start in a row with a home run. I know he pinched hit at one point in Toronto. Uh, but second start in a row with a home run for Bo Naylor. So the offense absolutely held up their end of the bargain. Now, I wish they hadn't gone ice cold after the fifth inning. Uh, that's a little troubling. But they absolutely six runs, I, that's kind of the contract between the offense and the pitching this year, isn't it? Like, four or five runs, we can probably hold on to that for a win. And so they give him six. They cannot hold on to it for a win. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. Nobody on the pitching side is getting MVP on the day. I think MVP on the day, I think I got to go with Gabriel Arias for the for the two doubles on the day. A pretty good offensive day from him. Uh, was around the scoring, uh, you know, constantly. So, uh, Gabriel Arias is getting my MVP on the day, although it's hard. It's hard to give that out on a day when we do get hammered uh, and lose by 10. And all the momentum in that game, all the momentum goes to the Minnesota Twins. Every time we had an inch of momentum in this game, they come and take it right back. We lose every inning. We lose every inning. Uh, Unfortunately, but there's nothing the offense could have done about that. Uh, They gave a fair effort. So, uh, all right, let's go over to some of your emails here because uh, we've got some good emails. I'm going to start with the emails from the game, and then Jeff uh, from Palo Alto has got a deep dive question for us. So, uh, Jeff with a G from Columbus uh, his title of his email is ump is bad he said this game is ugly I mainly wanted to comment on how bad this ump was tonight I was watching the game on a stream twins broadcast and even they were commenting how small the strike zone was tonight you know it is fun I'm going to jump into Jeff's email here for a second it is fun sometimes like if you're listening on the MLB app click off Hamilton and Rosie for a little bit and listen to the other team's broadcast from time to time it is interesting it's interesting to hear their opinion of our guys uh, it's also funny how many times they get like things completely wrong. Um, but, uh, like, they'll be like, you know, this Miles strong guy can usually hits like crazy. Uh, you know, they'll say things like that, or, or this guy, this guy's a big, powerful hitter. I can't believe he doesn't have any, many home runs. And you're like, I don't think you understand our team as well as you think you did. Um, so yeah. So he said, I was listening to Twins broadcast and even they were commenting on how small the strike zone was tonight. They essentially said Curry got robbed on several pitches low in the zone. Just curious what your take was. And I assume I assume Marlin will weigh in too. Thanks, Jeff and Columbus. Um, Marlon did email in. He emails in every day. He's he's I always count on Marlin. Um, yeah, if we go over to the illustrator here and we look at all the pitches that were called a ball, uh, there are a bunch from Xavier and Curry at the top of the strike zone and the bottom of the strike zone that are definitely in there. Uh Two, maybe three at the bottom of the strike zone that definitely should have been called strikes. Two, maybe three at the top of the strike zone that could have been called strikes. Same thing with Daniel Norris. Uh, He's got three sliders at the bottom of the strike zone at the knees that he gets absolutely hosed on. That should be strikes. Um, De Los Santos and Karinczyk both have fastballs at the bottom of the strike zone. That should be strikes. So, you know, clearly he wasn't calling the low strike um, on the night. Uh, Minnesota only has one pitch maida has got one fastball that he really could complain about at the bottom of the strike zone, two at the top of the strike zone. So, uh, like I said, the ump scorecard isn't out. I'll actually, I'll try to remember to look at it for tomorrow because the organization that does this ump scorecard thing, it's very good. They'll tell you how it influenced the game, how many wrong calls there were, and, and, and who it influenced the game in what direction. So, I'll try to remember that for tomorrow and report back on how bad this ump actually was. But yeah, I no, you're right, Jeff. He was terrible. Um all right, moving on to Marlin's email. Uh it feels like this team has been oh god, here he goes after Tito again and the front office. Feels like this team has been sabotaged from within this year. Maybe it's punishment for exceeding all expectations last year. I don't know. I can't believe Thor was DFA'd only for Daniel Norris to be brought back. That is absolutely insane. At least kept Thor kept the Guardians in games. Look, all right, Marlon, Thor was DFA'd for Cal Quantrill to come back. Quantrill was coming back from injury. They needed to make room for him. They're not going to DFA Cal Quantrill. They still have hopes they can fix him. More hopes than Thor. Thor was here to eat innings and protect the rookies. That's what he did. And now it's up to Cal Quantrill to eat those same innings. Daniel Norris is only here because you don't need a starter until later in the week. Daniel Norris was only here for emergency out of the bullpen, and that's exactly what he did tonight. Your starter gets run after two innings. You need someone to go out there and try to eat innings and get through the game. That's why Daniel Norris went in. Believe me, they don't think that Daniel Norris is better than Noah Syndergaard. That's not why he's here. Um, He doesn't understand why he didn't go to Eli Morgan immediately after Curry was pulled um, to try to be a little more competitive. I, again, all I'll say is, I okay, I agree with that. Like, it was a one-run game. There's no reason we couldn't have gone to a better pitcher to try to stay in that game and win that game. The reason he goes to Daniel Norris is because he hopes Daniel Norris will pitch three, four innings and get him deeper into this game and get into the back end of the bullpen. It does not work out for Terry Francona. So, yeah, you're right. It, it, he says this is very typical of Tito this year. Yeah, so he does kind of give up on the game by going to Daniel Norris. Um, and what's a two run game, essentially a one run game, because we had just scored one in the top of the third. So yes, you're right, Marlon. If, if he wanted to be more aggressive and more competitive in this game, he would have gone to Eli Morgan or one of those, or Sandlin, or one of those guys earlier in this game and maybe save Daniel Norris if things really got out of hand. So yeah, I, it was a little bit of an underwhelming, um, thing. He says, I know the depth has been decimated because of injuries, but it's sad there isn't a Kirk McCarty type pitcher at Columbus or Akron who can help out with re- relying on retreads like Norris. There is. They're up. That's the problem. They're all up here pitching. Your Kirk McCarty type is Xavier Curry. They're all up here pitching. I guess the other one that's hurt right would be Badenfield. And he's working his way back from injury. I, I don't know what to tell you. All our rookies are here, Marlon. I. So yeah, retreads like Daniel Norris is all that's left. Um, It's shocking to see a loss despite the offense scoring six runs. The pitching, particularly by X-Man and Norris, was awful. If someone told me before the game that the offense would score six runs off Maeda but lose, I would have laughed at them. The Twins had the pitching advantage tonight, but it's too bad Curry and Norris crapped the bed because the offense held up on their end. No one expects the offense to keep pace in a shootout. The offense did a great job of jumping on Maeda, but Curry unfortunately had his toughest outing of the season. Curry's had two b- straight bad outings. Both Big Rig and Logan Allen were roughed up in their last outings. I'm begin- beginning to wonder if the rookies are starting to run low on fumes. After all, we are in the dog days of summer. Uh, and then he throws in, In your previous podcast, you had asked if anyone had ever heard of Wade Meckler. Remember, I was going through like the guys in August who have the best power and stuff like that. We were talking about Schneider from the Blue Jays and this guy, Wade Meckler just happened to be there. I think from San Francisco. Well, Marlon did the research for us. He was called up from AAA in a flurry of roster moves, which included Luis Gonzalez being DFA'd and Anthony DiScafani moved to the 60 day IL. So Marlon is on it. That's, that's where Wade Meckler comes from. Um, all right, Marlon, thank you for the deep dive research, but you know, I think your read on Daniel Norris, I understand why you wanted to be more competitive in the game, but I also understand why Daniel Norris is here. Um, so yeah, uh, and I think we're on the same page that, uh, yeah, offensively, I thought we did enough. All right, let's move on to Jeff with a J, Jeff from Palo Alto's email, because he's got a fun question for me, and I thought about it, and I've got an answer. So he says has a discussion question for you. Hoinsey says he thinks the Guardians are two to three years, or Ruth and Gehrig, away from legitimate contention. He also is impressed by the Tigers' offense, an offense that, checks notes, has scored fewer runs than ours, though, so I'm skeptical of his assessment. What do you think? Were the guards legitimate last season, but have fallen so far that it'll take three years just to get back to that same level? Were they not legitimate at all last year? and what we saw was a mirage masking the need for a lengthy rebuild, what is your definition of legitimate in a world where 12 of 30 teams make the playoffs? Before you yet again point out the demoralizing series with Texas and Houston, however, I have to preemptively call out selection and confirmation bias. Be fair, if small sample size rules, the team also has looked pretty good against Toronto and Baltimore this year. That should matter also. And we all remember how terrible we were against the other AL playoff teams in 16. That seemed to work out okay until the end. Anyway, I'm curious as to your thoughts. Keep up the great work, Jeff and Palo Alto. So here's what I'll say about the rebuild and last year. No, I do not think last year was a mirage. I don't. But I'm guessing where Hoinze is coming from is you are now relying, right? You've stripped away some veteran hitters. Right, you've stripped away uh Ahmed Rosario and Josh Bell. Um, I'm sure if I look back at the 2022 team, I guess from the 2022 team, you're not missing that many veterans. I mean, Austin Hedges and Luke Maley aren't here anymore. Uh, but God, there were a lot of young players. I Josh Naylor missing is the thing that's really hurting us, I think. Right, uh, you're missing Josh Naylor right now. So you're missing some of those guys, a ton of young guys are playing. And I think his point is that it's going to take two to three years for guys like Gabriel Arias and Bo Naylor and Brian Rocchio and even still, even still Quan and Gonzalez and Brennan and Freeman to develop into the players that they're truly going to be like those guys all come up very young and, uh, Yeah, it might take two to three years for Gabriel Arias and Bo Naylor, let's just go with those guys, right, to become the power hitters they're supposed to be or lock into the hitters the quality hitters that they could be, the way Josh Naylor has locked in. Like, it took two to three years for Josh Naylor to become a legitimate threat, not a guy with occasional power, a guy that jumps on a team every now and then, a guy that's a legitimate threat in the middle of the lineup. So I understand where Hoynes is coming from, from that point because there's so many young guys on the team. I think that's his point there. But uh no, I don't think we're that far away. And no, I don't think it's unreasonable to think that we can compete next year. There's there's plenty of money to be spent. If he wants, I mean, we can't find Ruth and Gehrig, but we could add veterans to help that out. There's no reason we can't do a little better than Mike Zanino and Josh Bell and free agency this year. And bring in some, some more, uh, you know, help for the for the rookies. I don't I don't know if Cal Calhoun and Ramon Laureano are going to stick around, but you got to admit they've they've at least been a little helpful um, offensively. Um, they're the heart of our order right now, surprisingly. And you know, I was listening to the Selby's Godcast. They pointed out that the Guardians have done this in the past, in two thousand and five. Well, oh, Cleveland has done this in the past. In 2005, right? remember the 2005 team? They were strangely competitive. They regress in 2006. And then they're one game away from the World Series in 2007. 2007 was a magical season. They did have that regression year in the middle. In, what was it, 2013? Uh, when did they go to the... Uh, God, I'm blanking here. Uh, when did they go to the... Uh, the wild card game. I feel like it was 2013, right? Uh, yeah, they lost in the wild card game uh, in 2013. They do regress in 2014 and 2015, but then they're in the World Series in 2016. So they did have a have a surprising season, take a step back, and then they make it to the World Series. So there's no reason to say that the 2022 season isn't that surprise step forward. 2023 is clearly a step backwards. And 2024, 2025, they might not, you know, they could be right back in contention for that World Series. So I do think as early as next year, I think keep your expectations high. Keep your expectations high. Quan will have another year under his belt. Josh Naylor will hopefully be back. Hopefully hopefully soon Josh Naylor will be back. Uh, I think Brennan is going to continue to develop as a hitter. Freeman will continue to develop as a utility guy. Uh, And Arias, I think Arias and Bo Naylor are huge to this thing. If those guys can develop the way Josh Naylor did, I think this offense can really take off. You can add another veteran DH first baseman. You can add a veteran in right field maybe. There's ways to do this. You can get Miles Straw out of the freaking starting lineup every day and let Brennan play some center field. Um, there's, I think this team really can take a step forward. So I don't think we're in for a lengthy rebuild as far as the Tigers offense goes. Maybe he was just impressed with, they've hit more home runs than us. I don't know. Something like that. I, I don't know. Um, so yeah, so, uh, I, I don't know which offense has the better, you know, WRC plus or the better war, but, uh, the Tigers offense has been fine. I, I, I don't, I don't really care about them. I'm worried about us. I think this team With the pitching they have, that's the other key to it, with the pitching they have. I still think we have the best pitching in the American League Central. And that can carry us back to a division title and back into the playoff race next year. So, uh, thank you, Jeff. I I don't even care about who we face this year. I'm, I'm looking to the future. I'm looking at that development. I'm looking to the future. And I'm looking at the history of this franchise and they do take tend to take a step back before taking that leap forward. So, we'll see Jeff from Palo Alto if we can get it done. It's going to be a lot of work in the offseason. It's going to be a lot of work from these guys to turn themselves into legitimate major league threats offensively. I think we can get there. And I think Gabriel Arias and I think Bo Naylor and I think Will Brennan can get there probably before an Oscar Gonzalez gets there. I I'm really really on the edge with Oscar Gonzalez. Uh, it just, his plate discipline has been so bad and I don't see that getting corrected the same way for Reyes wasn't able to correct it. Right. Guess another guy who's missing off the, uh, well, I guess he wasn't there in the playoffs, but he was on the 2022 team. Uh, so thank you, Jeff, for the email. Thank you for the deep dive question. I enjoy those. So keep them coming. All right. That's all my thoughts on this Cleveland baseball morning. I'm actually shocked. We've talked this long. Uh, I thought this was going to be a quicker episode. So, uh, again, the final from uh, Minnesota. Unfortunately, it's Twins 10, the Guardians 6. Those of you who thought this series was going to be a make-or-break thing, you know, the Guardians, ooh, they can get themselves back into playoff contention. And, man, we are we are struggling. We We are pretty far down there as far as the standings go. So, just keep looking for the positives. Keep enjoying baseball being on your TVs as summer winds to an end. Keep looking for the positives. Um, all right, that's all my thoughts. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Burris. You can email the show at Cleveland Baseball Mornings at gmail.com. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.